Hey, it's Klaus here, host of the e-commerce coffee break podcast. Have you ever wondered if your store could perform better? Well, I have something special for you. I'm offering Shopify store audits again. I will walk through your Shopify store and share ways to make it better and show you ideas for a better conversion rate. I will pinpoint areas for improvement on your homepage, category page, product detail page and checkout. And I will uncover missed opportunities and show you the issues holding you back. To get your store audit, visit klauslauter.com slash audit. That's C-L-A-U-S-L-A-U-T-E-R dot com slash audit. Apply today as I will only offer five store audits this month. This is episode 282 of the e-commerce coffee break podcast. Today we talk about what it takes to succeed against all odds and dive into the importance of resilience and overcoming hardships. With me on the show, I have Harry Sanders, founder and director of Studio Hawk. So let's dive right into it. This is the e-commerce coffee break. A top-rated Shopify growth podcast dedicated to Shopify merchants and business owners looking to grow their online stores. Learn how to survive in the fast-changing e-commerce world with your host, Klaus Lauter, and get marketing advice you can't find on Google. Welcome, welcome to the show. Hello, welcome to another episode of the e-commerce Coffee Break podcast. Today, we want to talk about what it takes to succeed against all odds. Now, this is a big topic, and we want to dive a little bit in one story and give you an example of what that actually can mean. With me on the show, I have Harry Saunders. He's the founder and director of studiohawk.com.au. His agency has won awards like Best Marketing Agency at SEMrush Australia Awards 2023, Best Large SEO Agency at Apex Search Awards 2022 and 2023. He has also gained recognition in Forbes 30 Under 30 and as an Australian Young Entrepreneur in Marketing. As a Lighthouse Foundation member, he donates his speaking fees to combat youth homelessness. So let's welcome Harry to the show. Hi, Harry. How are you today? Hey, good. Thanks for having me, Klaus. Harry, let's dive right into it. So it seems you are a very successful entrepreneur, a very successful agency, but that was not always the case. And we are talking a little bit on how to succeed against all odds. Give a bit of a background story. How did you become the agency owner that you're today? Sure. So I got into the world of SEO when I was 14. I got a job working at a full service marketing company. So they did everything. We did an okay job at everything, but we certainly weren't, you know, exceptional at anything. So I worked there for a few years and at 17, as you do at that age, you kind of think you can do everything better, that you're smarter, blah, 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 a bit of an ego. And I decided that I would start my own company that would just focus on SEO so that we could be exceptional at SEO because I saw a really big gap in the market there. So in the process of leaving that company, which I didn't leave on the best terms as I was creating a basically a competitor. Um, in the process of doing that, I spent all my money building the company and it was a really turbulent time in my personal life. So my parents were divorced at a very young age um, and my mom was actually homeless. So she was on the streets and I was helping her out and I was living with uh, my dad's partner who decided that I was no longer welcome, uh, referred to me as baggage and unfortunately, just like a lot of young people in Australia and all around the world, I ended up uh, on the streets. So I was homeless under a bridge and couch surfing. So that's that's where it all kind of started. 
Yeah, that's a rough start. And a lot of people might give up on that, but you did the opposite. Basically, you had to drive to get you out of the situation, um, continue with the idea of building your own business. Now, we have a lot of solopreneurs, side hustlers listen to the show, and they want to get in a business. They want to have their own business. So what were the very first steps that you were following, steps that you were following to get there? I didn't expect to end up homeless or on the streets. And I think the only driving force, if I'm being honest, to keep going was this realization, two things really. Number one was this realization that if I don't do something, I am going to be on the streets for the rest of my life. There's no safety net. There's no one that's going to help me out here. My mom's got no money. I've got a very small family. It's really just my mom and my dad. So um, that was basically the situation. That was one big driving force. And the second one honestly, was I really just wanted to stick it to the people that said I couldn't do it. <laughs> and so that was that's a, kind of a stupid answer. Um, but And hopefully that's not your driving force long term, but it was at the start. Now it's kind of evolved to kind of trying to help others and achieve more. But yeah, when you're starting out, you've just got to really find what is driving you to do it. And when people tell me making money, I mean, if your driving force is to make money, it's just not going to last long because you're not going to make any money in the first two years of a business anyway. Mm -hmm. I mean, even if it's um, proving people wrong, that can be a strong motivator to get going. Now, you were quite young. You were like 17 or 18 years young. And then getting into the world of business might be rough um, because everyone sees you as a startup. What was your experience reaching out to your first clients? Look, not to sugarcoat it, it was really tough. I was a 17-year-old kid in dirty clothes because I was on the streets. I didn't have any reputation or name or money to my name. But I, because of that as well, I didn't really have any pride. So I didn't mind just going up to people at networking events and just saying hi. And the worst thing they could say is ignore me, which is fine. And that happened a lot of times, but I didn't let it get to me. I was just like, I, I don't really care. I'm just going to persevere and persevere to try and get those first clients. And then the other thing that I was, I think, really good at doing, and I still like to think I am very good at doing one of my one of my talents, is I'm very good at putting my hand up, delegating, and learning things. So when I met someone, maybe they wouldn't be a client, but maybe they would offer some advice or something. And I would just go through, and I like this saying, you know, experience is not advice. So I should say experiences. So people would share their experience of how they've built a business and the lessons they've learned. And I was just a sponge, man. I still am. Um, and I would just absorb all the knowledge, the mistakes they made, what they did, what worked, what didn't in these experience shares. Um, and that really shaped how I did things. And I would be the first to put my hand up and say, hey, I don't know how to do this. Do you have any idea to help? I guess that because I didn't have that pride. There's a big lack of that. So I didn't mind if people thought I was stupid or not. I was happy asking the stupidest questions. I mean, to grow, definitely it helps to have the feeling you're the most stupid person in the room. I still have that. I'm happy to be the most stupid person because only then you can learn. How much did mentors play a part in your journey? Initially, a massive part. I can't understate how much of a part. Like I can't, I really can't put it into words. But basically, I had two fantastic mentors. One was actually a social worker, just trying to help me get off the street. And that was a, you know, more of a personal mentor. But my other mentor was a guy called Graham Robertson. And he was, you know, an ex-CEO of some big brands. 
And he really kind of saw me. He was actually working with Lighthouse Foundation, who I work with now, who was like a youth homelessness organization. So he really kind of saw me um, and helped me kind of flesh out this business idea and vision. Taught me about taxes. He taught me about staff. He taught me about dealing with clients. He taught me really so much of what I know today can be attributed to someone like that. So I always say, if you read any media stories, it'll be like self-made success, homeless millionaire, not self-made at all. And I don't, I really don't believe that many people are. I think that um, if you're not willing to put your hand up and find mentors, you're doing it the hard way. Mm -hmm. Now, the initial stage, getting from the street, getting into business was done, but then becoming an entrepreneur, entrepreneurship is hard. I mean, it's really hard. Everyone who is in entrepreneurship who knows that there's a lot of things that are thrown at you. What kind of things did you have to fight once you were an entrepreneur? So what kind of roadblocks did you come towards to? So many roadblocks in the path to, to starting a business. Um, I think it's just learnings and lessons. I mean, I've learned so many lessons around hiring people, having succession plans in place for people. At different stages of the business, I've learned different lessons and different roadblocks as, a, as an entrepreneur. Like when I was starting out, it was mostly about lessons around you know, how to get work, how to sell yourself, what your USP is, all that kind of stuff, right? And that's probably the hardest part getting started. And that's where a lot of businesses just don't make it because they're not willing to give it their all, bluntly. A lot of people are willing to give it a few months. And if they are not a millionaire in a few months, they're just like, ah, this entrepreneurship thing's not for me. I So to give you some figures, because I think figures are much more enjoyable. In our first year, we made probably $20,000 Australian. So fourteen thousand US dollars in a year. Our second year, we might have made eighty thousand, right? And and when you think about that, you're like, okay, eighty thousand is all right. You've got to remember, you are working eighty to a hundred hour weeks every week, no rest. Um, for eighty thousand or sixty thousand US dollars, you know, at that point, you're better off getting a job. It wasn't until our seventh, eighth year where we hit ten million US, and it just is a very linear graph, like. Uh, exponential graph but yeah those first two years are struggle and you know i've got a lot of people in my personal life that'll look at the business now and see what it does and how it works and be like man i should just do that you know it's it's years of investment and time before you ever hope to get there and most people just don't make it over that hurdle Hey Klaus here, just a quick one. If you like the content of this episode, subscribe to the weekly newsletter at newsletter.ecommercecoffeebreak.com. I score and curate 50 news sources so you don't have to, saving you hours of research. Grow your revenue with e-commerce news, marketing strategies, tools, podcast interviews and more, all in a quick three-minute read. So head over to newsletter.ecommercecoffeebreak.com to subscribe, as said, 100% free. Also, you will find the link in the show notes. And now back to the show. Yeah, there's a famous saying that the overnight success took years or were years in the making. So there's something true to it. I mean, obviously, you need to have a very high pain level, I think, as an entrepreneur. Yeah. And you need to be very, very persistent. Now, you're in the world of digital marketing, of SEO. That's something that's changing very, very quickly. And you're working with a lot of companies out there. What kind of issues do you see that your clients have in their way on growing their business? A lot of our business, yeah, a lot of like speaking to the e-commerce businesses, a lot of the issues that they have is there's just a lot of different channels of marketing, uh, a lot of different things they need to be across. The big pitfalls I'm seeing at the moment are 
people that are yeah trying to it's a big thing in the u.s actually it's a bit different in australia and the uk where we've got offices um we're just trying to put an office in the u.s but this is idea of using one agency to do everything and i've heard the term one throat to choke <laughs> which is an interesting one <laughs> um but it's this idea of like finding some company to do everything i think that's a big pitfall because you get like I came back from that background, you get a very, you know, you might get servers across all of it, but it's a very different kind of service. And I think, and this isn't just for SEO, this is for everything, right? So to present a non-biased opinion, if I was doing social media, I'd be hiring a specialized social media agency. The whole idea behind that is all of these channels are so in-depth now. You can't possibly, as a person, know SEO, paid, and social. And if you're sitting there being like, oh, I know all those things, I'm going to be honest, like, you don't. I don't even know all of SEO, and I've been doing it for 10 years. Um, it is a moving game with so many intricacies and differences that you can't possibly know all these things. So, you know, an agency like that might have one or two people in their SEO team and you don't know what their core competency is. So the clients that I'm seeing that are killing it at the moment, obviously the big brands that are doing that more specialized approach, but also the smaller brands that are just getting smarter about how they pick people to do these different projects or how they split up their digital spend. Mm. No, I can't follow that. I mean, it's basically you're following a moving target when you're in digital marketing. New things coming up every day. I mean, AI right now, it's it's all over the place. So it's, it's really, really difficult um, to stay up to date on what's what's happening out there and becoming an expert in any of these fields. As you said, it needs a single person to focus on one thing. Now, with SEO, and then I want to dive a little bit deeper into that one while I was touching on AI. What are the trends in SEO? I think a lot of our listeners are interested in that. And I just want to get a glimpse from you what's what's happening in SEO. For sure. Look, there's a few big trends at the moment. So there's three things happening at the moment. Programmatic SEO, which is a lot of AI powered. So creating pages using AI to basically serve different search intents. So if you were to search, you know, specific suburbs in Florida, right? Dynamically creating suburb pages with AI content to cater towards people searching for that. Let's say you're a plumber or something. That'd be a great way of doing that. That's been really cool for a lot. A lot of SaaS companies are doing that. I don't know the longevity of that, to be honest. I think it's a great short-term boost, but it does kind of, not to get too technical, but blow out your crawl budget very quickly, which means basically you've got a lot more pages and all your authority from your website is now spread between all of these. But it can work very well in select circumstances. The other one the probably two I'm more interested in because programmatic's been around for a few years. AI's has kind of supercharged it. Um, is digital PR, which is the kind of new people are calling it a new link building. So traditional link building, you reach out to people, you get a link, you pay for a placement, yada yada, which is fine. It still works. It's not going anywhere. But digital PR is an extension of that. There's about an eighth of many journalists as there were pre-COVID. Most of them fired, moved on, whatever. They still have crazy quotas to hit and they need stories delivered to their inbox. So data-led stories, now they're linking to businesses. I mean, we've got businesses in Vogue, in Forbes, in you know all sorts of publications that have got massive authority and that have really cranked their SEO. And then the last one is this, this hasn't even happened yet. This is a prediction more so than anything else. So I've given you you know, a bit of both, but the last one is user-generated content. So it's a really big thing in social media, but Google is toying with that 
this idea of perspectives, which if you haven't heard about is a new feature that they haven't launched yet, but they're trialing, which uses like Google Shorts and TikTok videos to kind of answer search queries. And I think that above anything, this is what Google needs to do. I think everyone's focused about SGE or search generative experience, like so that you can type a question in and like Google's AI and get an answer back. I'm happy to be proven wrong, but I don't think that's how people search. I think people, especially younger generations, are searching in TikTok because they like short form video content. So I think we're going to see a lot more of that and we're going to see a lot more user generated content being optimized for SEO. So that's where I see the future of SEO going. Okay, I learned something. It's a very interesting aspect. I've never thought about that, but it makes perfectly sense. TikTok is growing like crazy and user-generated content is all over the place. Um, just bringing these together in search would make sense. Very interesting concept there. Now, with Studio StudioHawk, um, who's your perfect customer? With whom are you working? Probably most of our customers are e-commerce. Depends where in the world. Like in Australia, we're probably looking at, you know, 10 mil plus in, in revenue in the UK, probably similar. In the US, we're trying to look, because we're just starting in the US at the moment, we're now looking at that one to 100 mil mark, but we don't want any big ones. The problem is all the US clients, we're getting inquiries from all massive companies <laughs> um, and then we're just not ready to handle that right now because of time zones. I really want to put people in the US and unless I have an, a small army of people, I don't want to be dealing with a billion dollar e-commerce brand yet. So yeah, that's kind of the target market that one to a hundred really in e-com and then yeah just kind of growing their brand uh, ideally something that's niche or that's got a really good usp mm -hmm. what would you recommend to a small medium enterprise in e-commerce that is not there yet um where should they start with seo what would be a strategy that would work well for them blogs and category pages um if you do nothing else go publish blogs publish category pages if you look at any e-commerce giant i guarantee you they are doing blogs and category pages that is your fundamentals if you don't have good category pages with you know text and internal links and all that kind of stuff you are leaving money on the table big time and it's a small job same with your um blogs make sure you've got those done too you, you've got more sophisticated things from there which is like click depth optimization how you lay out the information architecture of the website but honestly if you just did good category pages and good blogs you could get to one to ten million and then start looking at your ia structure and your click depth and that's where an seo company would would be better for you because i think if you tried to do that yourself you just lack the experience to know what you should be looking at Mm -hmm. Awesome tip there. I want to come back a little bit to, to where we started, the Lighthouse Foundation. You're an ambassador there. Give me a background on what it is and what it does. So Lighthouse is a charity for youth homeless. So in Australia, well, in this, Victoria specifically, we have about 16 new kids on the street every night, which is horrendous. Uh, they don't have a place to go, and it's even worse in other parts of the world. So most people don't know but about 32% of the homeless population in Australia, these numbers are, are between 16 and 24. So a lot of youth homelessness. Um, you know, it could be parents' divorce, could be similar situations to mine, all sorts of hardships and difficulties. So I'm an ambassador for them. So I, I raise money and I donate money on behalf of Studio Hawk. 
to make an impact on these kids. So to date, we donated about, we help operate about three houses that have each got, you know, groups of these young people in there. And what makes Lighthouse unique is its model of care. So instead of giving hand-me-down clothes, we always get new stuff to make sure that the kids feel valued and important rather than getting secondhand stuff all the time. And then because, you know, the biggest problem, you know, youth homelessness or charity work normally has in this space is the churn of social workers. It's an incredibly hard job. So we make sure we have support networks for our social workers um, because otherwise they just can't shoulder the burden. It's a very hard thing to see young kids such so down on their luck and you know to not be able to have an immediate impact on that. So that's what I do at the Lighthouse Foundation and obviously given my background, I'm very passionate about it. Awesome initiative. Um, so really, really good. I lived for a long time in Africa and I, I know and I've seen many, many homeless kids. Before we come to the end of the coffee break today, what is the final thought that you want to leave our listeners with? My final thought that I want to leave people with, with the e-commerce landscape, there's, there's a fantastic opportunity to be at the forefront of all these changes. Everyone's stressing out and I know it's been a hard couple of years, especially right now, but there's things that small businesses can do right now to get smart. You know, we talked about things like category pages and blogs, and we touched upon the future of search like UGC stuff. But seriously, I think that if I was doing e-commerce right now and I wasn't just doing it for clients, I mean, what we're doing for our clients is basically what I'm going to tell you now. You know, look at user-generated content, look at um, digital PR, and look at how you might be able to do some of those things. Are you able to produce user-generated content that you house on your website? Are you able to put that on things like YouTube Shorts? And how can you kind of really show users using your products? Because uh, influencers, outside of massive influencers, I think you're on their way out. But I think that the average Joe Blow as user-generated content has got a lot more value than people are, uh, are looking at right now. And that's going to translate the SEO value for the future. Okay, cool. Where can people find out more about Studio Hawk and yourself? So you can Google Studio Hawk uh, and there'll be... Yeah, plenty of stuff there. Or if you Google me, Harry Sanders, I'm also on LinkedIn. You can connect with me there. Okay, excellent. I will put the links directly in the show notes and you're just one click away. Harry, thanks so much for your time today. I think you have an amazing story and you made a, a really great company out of it. So thanks so much for sharing that with us and have a great day. Thank you so much. Cheers. Hey, Klaus here. Thanks for joining me on another episode of the e-commerce coffee break podcast. Before you go, I'd like to ask two things from you. First, please help me with the algorithm so I can bring more impactful guests on the show. It will make it also easier for others to discover the podcast. Simply like, comment and subscribe in the app you're using to listen to the podcast. And even better, if you could leave a rating. Thanks again, and I catch you in the next episode. Have a good one.